This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain, which takes us to some of the most difficult shoots our videographers encounter with the kind of gore and bloodshed few people will ever witness. And when I got back, other people saw the footage of what I had shot and... I was offered counseling. Some of the stories you're about to hear are graphic because our team of seasoned and committed camera operators sometimes find themselves on the scene of major events before even first responders arrive, giving them access to the kind of gruesome footage we would never broadcast on the 6 o'clock news. It was pretty horrific. He ended up having a leg uh, amputated from that collision. But these men and women are there to document the kind of fatal road crashes, shootings in residential neighborhoods, crippling accidents and medical events. She was actually dying that impact our communities and can have profound influences on public policy. Seeing bloodstains on the steps of an elementary school, observing the life-threatening terrain around fatal backcountry outings, that's the kind of video evidence that can make viewers sit up and take notice while prompting lawmakers to increase funding to policing or demand better emergency services in remote areas. The blood was just pouring out and it was so graphic. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks to, to see that. For the people chronicling these serious events and mishaps, it can take a toll. Though viewers will never see a shooting victim lying on the street, our videographers do and have to decide how to convey the situation, balancing the need to demonstrate the grim reality of gang violence, for example, while avoiding the type of graphic content few people can stomach watching. So how do our shooters handle the stresses and weight of recording horrific crimes or graphic medical procedures? If it had been in color, that would have been tough because you see that heart beating back at your face and you're like, uh, I don't know if I can handle this. I surveyed our team of videographers and discovered it's a combination of technology and discussion that gets them through it. Just started shaking and it started to set in what I, what I had just witnessed. I'd like to start this episode with uh, videographer Pete Klein because you were the inspiration for this topic because we had been talking about how hard it is to um, shoot some material and you told me something that stuck with me for months and months and months before this podcast was even started and you said that sometimes when you shoot graphic things you have to tell yourself that you're just watching it on TV and that just really struck me and I, I've always appreciated what our photographers do at CTV but that idea that you have to disassociate from it that hit me in the heart. It really did. Yeah, because sometimes, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, sometimes um, the images are so vivid, and there's there's a lot of pictures that we take um, at a scene that do not make care because they are too graphic. And uh, we take them because we're there to document what has happened. You'll see things that, when you're looking through the viewfinder, it's black and white, and you try to tell yourself, okay, I'm just watching TV, uh, but you your head out of the viewfinder and you look and you can see what's in front of you and it becomes very you know it can be very emotional sometimes especially if kids or or anything like that's involved so yeah you try and disassociate somehow at least i do i don't know how the other photogs deal with it but it can be very traumatic sometimes when you see some events And I know that there will be people listening to this right now saying, well, if you're not going to put it on air, why document it? Why bother looking at it? But there have been times where we've had to paraphrase or it guides our questions to authorities when we know. For example, there was a a jumper on a bridge a couple of weeks ago, and we were able to see the circumstances. And let me tell you, the police had a very challenging situation to deal with. We're never going to show that on the air, but it does guide our coverage and our journalism when we can say it was a very treacherous situation and it was very complex in in that case for example yeah and i think a lot of times at a scene you'll walk around we'll we'll go around the scene and you can piece together what's happened you can definitely tell you may see 
for example, bullet casings somewhere, and then over here will be, say, a car car accident part of it, uh, skid marks, whatever. And then you'll see the actual, you know, if there's a fatality, you'll see that. So you have to document all of those things to be able to piece it together, exactly like you say, that you can ask authorities, okay, what happened? Was the, Were they... Uh, was the public at danger, anything like that. You also see a lot of things as one of the three photographers we have in Chopper 9. We, we did a Chopper 9 episode early on. We didn't really touch on um, sensitive video in that uh, episode, but uh, recently at Shannon Falls, there were some hikers that had gone over the falls, and we needed to show the circumstances that those rescuers were working under to try to retrieve those people. It was so dangerous, but then you also ended up seeing a lot more than you wanted to see at that time. Yeah, quite often when we're in the helicopter, we we go to recoveries and things like that in the backcountry that you wouldn't normally see uh, necessarily in uh, your day-to-day news shooting, and you're exposed to a lot of uh, quite graphic scenes. So our challenge is to obviously document, but we also have to take pictures of things that are... Um, that we can shoot in a roundabout way that won't be too disturbing. But I can remember they were lifting this poor guy... Uh, out of the water and he was already in a body bag so you know he would he had been covered up but uh just looking in the monitor at first i looked at it and i go is that what is that and it it just was blood pouring out into the water and you could see the change in color in the water and at first i didn't recognize what it was and then uh i went back later to see what happened and um because we recorded in the aircraft obviously and it was just yeah, this poor guy had uh, in such severe injuries that he had expired from that, uh, yeah, the blood was just pouring out and it was so graphic and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that, to see that. And that's where we talk about when it becomes the first time around, it was almost like watching TV. Is this really real? So then how do you deal with that when you go home? Do you try not to think about it? Do you talk about it? I mean, your, your partner's a journalist as well, so she understands, but how do you try to cope with that kind of thing at the end of the day? Uh, we'll talk about uh, certain aspects of it. Oh, you know, I saw something really gory today or uh, this was really bad, and especially if it deals with kids. That's the one thing I find I have to talk about it. But uh, a lot of times it is, I saw this on TV today yeah. sort of thing. And you just deal with it because after a while you've you've seen so much over my career. I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. So I've seen a fair bit. So after a while you don't want to see you become desensitized, but in some cases you do. But that's also a coping mechanism, isn't it? If you got to push yourself away, hold it all at arm's length, because otherwise, how do you how do you do a job documenting? I mean, you guys have to see the worst of the worst that we won't even put to air, but you guys have to see it. Yeah, and quite often the coping me- mechanism is uh, like a morbid sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, well, you you may if people have seen us out at, at things, they may see photographers that looks like they're laughing, but that is actually a coping mechanism. Even you know, you watch first responders quite often; they'll they'll have the same thing where they're, uh, that's how they cope, is just to kind of laugh it off. Not necessarily what's happened, but just to relieve the stress. They joke about things and things like that, right? Tease each other and whatnot yep. so that you don't Absolutely. have to think about what's actually happening yeah, beyond the exactly. tape. Yeah, just to get, get through that, that experience. Steve Saunders, you have a story from your days in Australia, and I didn't know this about you, but you don't like the sight of blood. I'm the kind of guy that if something's on TV and you see medical procedures, I change the channel. I, I just, ugh, I can't do it. And I got tapped on the shoulder 
years ago when I was there, and they had a guy cancel, and I think I know why, because they didn't want to do it either, it was to film a medical procedure, an actual operation. And they said, Steve, you have to do it, because the other guy, he's not, I'm like, great. We go into the medical room, you have the doctors there, everyone's in there. Uh, scrubs and they said you guys want some uh, toast and coffee uh, no, I couldn't eat anything I was like I just felt like green myself anyway all the gear gets scrubbed down we get scrubbed down and then the nurses in the OR theater there they're saying whatever you do don't get close to the doctor stay away don't get in the way no problem I'll stay at the very back and this was some sort of milestone medical procedure at a university. It was, and it was an actual hospital. But the 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 deal was that they wanted, they allowed us in to do that because they were going to use it for education as well, right. for other doctors and interns and things. This was an old fellow that was uh, had an aneurysm, and uh, you know he had it was a full on medical procedure with two doctors. So I'm standing at the back and I'm filming, you know, the little beep 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 machines and the other stuff. And at one point. One of the doctors says, hey, where's that cameraman? I said, that's all right. I'm back here. I'm not touching anything. I'm, I'm back here. They said, just, no, no, we need you up here. And I'm like, uh, no, they said to stay back out of the way. So they bring me up. And the two doctors, they both slide out of the way and, and sort of slide me in there. Now I'm elbow to elbow with them right beside this. I look down and there's this old fella in his 70s or 80s. His chest is completely opened up. The heart is alive and beating. And they've got me there, and they're saying, quick, we need to get these shots. Can you get these shots? And I'm thinking, this is going to be horrible. He's going to die because I will have vomited inside his chest, or I will have dropped the camera inside his chest, and I don't think they could suture that up. But black and white viewfinders, the, the cameraman, most cameramen still have them these days. It helped because all of a sudden he's giving me direction. I need this. Can you get that? Can you get that close up? And it gave me something to concentrate on. And I'm looking through the black and white viewfinder and that made a huge difference. And after about a minute, I, re- I didn't even think about it. I was just doing what, you know, we're all trained to do. But, uh, whew. and I've, I've done some operations since then. And it wasn't as bad as like, you know, riding your first bike. It's, it's tough when you first do it. Do you find that that black and white viewfinder still, I mean, you shoot car crashes, shootings. There are a lot of uh, graphic incidents that we end up covering for local news. Do you find that that black and white viewfinder still helps? Or have you been doing this for long enough now that, you know, you are able to take a step back just intellectually and just see it as a, as a work project as opposed to someone has died here an hour ago? I think it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. It, in a sense, it kind of desensitizes you to, you know, the real-life color, as it were, that is right there. And you've got something to... And technically, we still have things to concentrate on to to do what we do. And in that instance, I think it was as, is as much having something to, you know, like I had to shoot on a macro lens, which is really close, and you have to really concentrate because the focus is critical. But if it had been in color, even back, especially back then, that would have been tough because you see that heart beating back at your face and you're like uh, I don't know if I can handle this but it just made it easier to you know to get into it so it's sort of a combination of both how do you shoot on a black and white viewfinder when what you're capturing is color do you is it the zebra stripes because I know those zebra stripes let you know what's white but how do you know if if the color balance is correct or if what you're shooting is accurate when you are looking through that black and white viewfinder well, all the cameras, you can always color balance anyway. And, and the modern cameras that we have now, they do have a, a 
color sort of viewfinder on the side of the camera that's not completely accurate, but it gives you a pretty good ballpark idea of what, what the colors are. So you, you get your color balance and you look at that for reference, but the reason they're black and white is because the focus is a lot more critical. It's easier to get a, a sharper image with that, whereas it's harder for color in a viewfinder to have that, uh, that kind of detail that you can get with the, the black and white uh, version of it. So it's been industry standard for years and I think most people are, most of the shooters are just used to doing it. Steve Murray, you have worked all over the province throughout your career, and it sounds like it was one of the ones, uh, one of the stories you were working on in northern BC that has really stuck with you, uh, both in terms of being graphic and also just emotionally difficult to see. Yeah, long time ago now, but I can still see it. If I close my eyes, I can put myself right back in that moment. It was so quiet, this beautiful lake, it was calm, and there was a drowning of two young brothers, and watching a uh, police officer commandeer a jet ski, and he went out with the divers and brought each young man back to shore, they put them in body bags. It was so quiet, and just the sound of, of everybody just walking, there was, nobody was talking, and then when they, you could hear them put the body down and then you could hear the zipper of the body bag and it was just chilling. And that has stuck with me, that sound of the zipper of a body bag and the finality of the scene there. And uh, I remember uh, we had some phone calls to our newsroom that people were upset that we, we showed a shot of that and, and the sound of it. Uh, so even though they didn't see the faces of no. these young men, who these two brothers who had drowned, even though there was nothing specifically graphic, it was that that zipper was disturbing enough. Yeah, it was. They they thought that uh, that wasn't necessary to see them being put into a body bag, but to me that sound, that even the image of the bag, but the sound. I mean, that sent home a message to people that you know whatever they were doing out in the lake that day, there was a serious consequence to what happened, and it was it was final. You and I worked on a story together a few years ago as well that has stuck with me ever since because it was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen and I wasn't even there. It was a really cold winter. There was ice everywhere and we had sent you just to get some shots of icy roads and as you were getting footage on that a a true personal tragedy unfolded. Yeah, it was uh, pretty shocking to, to, to witness. I had heard a car losing control and earlier I had taken some footage of a tow truck operator towing out a car that had spun off the road and I shot him doing his job and everything was wrapping up and so I went on to shoot some more footage of the icy roads and I heard a a car losing control and I kept recording and panned the camera over and I caught uh, a vehicle slam into the rear end of the tow truck driver and I didn't realize it at that exact moment but the tow truck operator was hit by the vehicle it was pretty horrific. He ended up having a leg uh, amputated from that collision. I had to yell uh, yell uh, some instruction to the, the motorist and to the tow truck operator, and I called 911. Uh, I even called his company and told them and had to tell them the bad news. And um, it really stuck with me. And uh, in the moment, I just did what I had to do. I got lots of footage uh not for the news that night. I was thinking I would help this guy if there was an investigation. But once it all settled down and it was over with and he was taken away in an ambulance, I drove up 
uh, off the road onto a side street, and I pulled over, shut my engine off, and I just started shaking, and it started to set in what I what I had just witnessed. And even at one point, I thought, did that really happen? Uh, because it was so unbelievable um, to witness and to, to play an active role in that story. Um, it took me months and months. In fact, I had to get some counseling uh, just because of... Uh, of the what really bothered me, what like I I've become a little bit hardened. Looking through a little black and white eyepiece, uh, you sort of separate yourself. But um, when you play a role and you hear the the wailing of somebody who's who's not sure whether he's going to live or, or die, and you're trying to stay calm and you're trying to tell him that everything's going to be all right, but you're just you're not sure and you don't think it's going to be all right. But um, when I close my eyes at night for at least a couple of weeks. I would still hear him yelling and him wailing uh, in agony. And it's that sound. For me, it's sound to hear the wailing of people crying or screaming in pain. Um, it just it sticks with you forever. Sean Foss is another veteran cameraman. And, Sean, you've covered a lot of graphic stories, but there's one that's really struck with you. And the details of this are particularly tough to hear. I don't think it gets much worse than this. I remember getting a call, this is a number of years ago, to a tour bus versus pedestrian in downtown. So when I got there, the tour bus had not just hit this woman, it had run over her. She got caught and was dragged for about half a block. What made this particular scene so horrible was that her head whether it was rubbed on the concrete or whether it somehow rubbed on the tire or whatever disintegrated her head and I remember vividly emergency responders walking around with baggies on their hands and picking up matter off the ground in this stretch of about a half a block. And as I zoomed in on what was going on, because I couldn't quite see what they were doing because they were too far away from me, I realized that what they were picking up were pieces of this woman's head. Yeah, it was uh, when I realized what it was, I was just sort of, wow, oh, my God. Um, And at the time, there was a female officer that was there, and she looked at us and said, you know, you guys really pissed me off because she thought that we were just trying to get graphic shots. But what we were doing, I was with other cameramen there, but what we were doing was just trying to find out what it was that these, these first responders were doing. And I think that if I didn't, have the black and white viewfinder to look through while I was shooting these images, I think I would have been more strongly affected by what was going on. But I think because I felt a little disassociated from it as a result of being a small little black and white screen, that sort of saved me from more mental trauma. Um... I definitely think that was the the worst thing that I've ever had to go to as a cameraman. And when I got back, other people saw the footage of what I had shot and 
I was offered counseling for what I had shot, but I didn't carry it with me. I've thought about it many times. It, it, I don't think about it in a, tr- in a traumatic way for me, but more just what a terrible scene that it was. Gary Barnt joins me now. And Gary, you had a really sensitive story as part of a, a shoot that you did with BC Women's Hospital a few years ago. Yeah, it was about uh, two or three years ago, and we are working with Women's Hospital. And so we had uh, unprecedented access to go with the infant transport team. And this is the um, highly specialized, skilled um, paramedics of BC Ambulance that work only with child, like children, probably like three and under. And so they're via land, and they um, go by air ambulances wherever they're needed in the province, or fixed-wing aircraft, so they basically cover the Yukon and B.C., so I was given uh, just basically ride along with them on all their calls, just st- spend time with one crew and just follow them. And it's incredibly important to tell those stories because how more specialized does it get than the sickest, most fragile children around? Uh, so you were in a, was it an operating room or where was it where you were filming at this point? Well, the particular call I remember is we were out to uh, Langley Hospital to their ER. There was a, 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 about a, I think she was about two or two and a half year old girl who had a bunch of pre-existing medical conditions. And they called because she was having trouble breathing. And so they called in the infant transport team. And that's on the recommendation of a doctor at Women's Hospital. And so then, because they basically take over that case. So we drove we drove out there, uh, Code 3, um, all the way from uh, Women's Hospital. Uh, so about 40 minutes, even with Code 3, to get out there. And so we went in there, and it's not a very big the treatment room she was in was not very big it's very um so there was a lot of people in there a lot of nurses uh, a few doctors and then the, the two paramedics showed up and so i had to kind of you know i had to kind of shoot this and the mom was in there too and the mom was okay with me being there they had forewarned so there was permission was was given and all that but the, the mom and the girl had always had been in hospital many times so she wasn't freaked out this was like normal for her to have to unfortunately bring her daughter in and so i kind of just found a spot where i could start shooting and you know it's it's like we would see on a tv show and any an er episode or something there's lots of people lots of talking lots of you know people talking to each other trying to figure out ordering tests ordering this ordering that and the um paramedic i was with the senior paramedic he was um he was getting quite concerned because he didn't like the way things were going he didn't like the, her 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 stat- statistics on the on the um, monitor and stuff and I think everybody was so busy trying to do what they had to do. Nobody was actually kind of paying attention to her at the time. And not on purpose, but just the way that was happening. And, and, and himself and I think the head nurse, the only ones that realized there was something wasn't right. And she was actually, she was actually dying. And I had, of course, had a wireless mic on him, and I could hear him talking to her. And they were just calmly talking amongst themselves. Like, they decided they were going to do something about it now because everybody else was kind of like, you know, the doctor was looking at x-rays and was and they were discussing. And you could just tell it wasn't going well. And they were saying, okay, well, let's add, push some more of this and do this and do that. And then he looked over at me, and he could he, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I could tell the way he looked at me. It's like, okay, this is not good so i kind of just started backing up and i really made you know i'm I'm six foot with a 25 pound camera i tried to make myself as small as possible in the corner of the room like jammed right up against the wall to be right out of the way and just you know i didn't know what i was it's one of those things like do i leave the room what do i do 
And so and you don't want to alarm anybody else alarm by, because anybody. you can hear what they're talking about yeah. and that it's dire. Yeah, it's very dire. And so you just kind of, okay, you're just looking through the viewfinder and you're just recording um, and you just watch. And they managed to get her, you know, they were very concerned, but they were doing their thing. I stayed out of the way. And they managed to get her stabilized enough that we could rush her down to Langley Airport and get her on a helicopter and get her to, to Children's. And, and I think she was fine the next day. Like, she was recovered enough that they were, she was stable. But it's just one of those things, like, you know, you, make, you made eye contact with the paramedic that you've been spending a, a, long t- a couple hours with. You could just tell, you could just tell, like, you know, he's giving you the nod, like, this isn't looking good. You know, you might have to leave the room if she dies. And, you know, you understand that, like, you know, if, if she passes, you know, you don't want to be in there. Do you focus then on the technical? Like for yourself, do you think, okay, what's my audio level at? What yeah. is the exposure at? Just to focus on that I rather think, than... I think that's a kind of a safe way of avoiding stuff is like, um, is my exposure good? Is my framing good? Am I in focus? Am I holding a steady shot? Is the wireless sound... Just keeping your mind on the technical, making a technically perfect thing and not thinking what's actually happening. And, you know, you do that at car accidents, you know, if you get there and they're extricating people, so they're still in the car. Like, you know, you have to shoot it, but you don't have to shoot their face necessarily. You can just kind of shoot the tights of the jaws of life, cracking open the door and the first responders and stuff like that, because, you know, you... and. Sometimes you end up shooting the person's face and stuff like that, but you just you just you're just like you're just thinking in your head. Just shoot these things and make it technically perfect. You're not thinking of what's going on. I mean, that might sound cold and callous, but I think that's probably the only way you can really do it. Is you just gotta focus on your job. You can't do anything to help these people anyway. And when it comes to accident scenes, uh, in particular, sometimes shootings as well, we don't show faces, we don't show details, because that it's according to our code of conduct, we don't show a lot of those details. But personally, I find it heart-wrenching and compelling seeing the shoe on the side of the road because you know somebody's been hit with the type of force that's knocked their shoes off. And I think that experienced videographers, there is a way... You still have to see it because you're there. Yeah. But in terms of expressing to the audience what's happened, I think the skill there to be able to convey that emotion and just how intense that scene is, those other visuals can do the job without the audience needing to see any of the horrific things that you have a tough time getting out of your head. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't have to shoot. If you're going to a shooting scene or um, yeah, or a car accident, there's enough... There's usually enough other supporting visuals that you can get that you can get the point across. If somebody's, you know, if somebody's been shot, you're not going to show that, but you might, you might be on a wider shot and show them performing CPR. But then there's usually five or six or seven, eight people surrounding, you know, paramedics and firefighters working on somebody. You can show their faces and them working on it, and then a wider shot or and stuff like that. And yeah, with cars, like you said, a shoe or just the, the car. Uh, just skid marks and kind of spray of glass is another one glass uh yeah you know if it's if it's your child i mean if they were on a bike you can just show the bike that gets the point across you don't have to shoot you know and then once they're in you would maybe shoot them being loaded in the ambulance but then they're so bundled up you can't identify who they are anyway and then maybe they're getting put into the air ambulance and taken away and you're going to show that and and that and so you can get the powerful and i know people you know think it's an ambulance chase thing and 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 stuff like that but i mean if we need to see the consequences of yeah. distracted driving, for example, and, or and impaired that, driving, or, or biking without a helmet. Yeah. We, see, yeah, we don't know that. When we arrive on an accident scene, we have no idea what caused that accident or how that accident occurred. So you're right. I mean, if I just ignore it and go away and we don't shoot it and we find out the next day, oh, yeah, the uh, police have deemed that the driver was a drunk driver who had 
25 convictions already for drunk driving and he had his license suspended. Well, that's a story and because that would open up a whole other thing about you guys investigating why is this person still driving and stuff. So, I mean, you know, we, we're not there to be ghouls. We're not amble. You know, it's, it's part of the job. I want to thank Pete, both Steve's, Sean, and Gary for being on this podcast this week and opening up on such a sensitive, difficult topic. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits on the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphos.